thank you, Lord, for selecting me for this time, Father. We thank you for the opportunity, God, to release your word, God. I pray that your spirit leads the wrecks and speaks, God, that I completely move out of the way. And you here are now standing in the forefront, God. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. And so what we're going to get into is a story spanning from the Old Testament and the New Testament. One, a minor prophet, and the other, one of the first seven deacons established in the early church of Jerusalem. Um, and so I'm just going to teach it a little bit this morning, but we'll, we'll see what happens with this. Um, but I'm speaking this morning about Jonah and Philip. I never thought there'd be a correlation between the two of them, uh, but, but evidently there is. So there are two completely eras, two different scenarios, but yet similar in mission. Now, what is demonstrated in both stories is the level of accountability and what's left in the balance. And so as this morning we're praising and we're running and we're jumping, I just want you to know there's a level of accountability on your praise, on your walk, on your word, on your intercession. So everything we're doing here, it's, it's not just for, for cardio, but just know that in what you do, in what you speak and in where you walk, there is a level of accountability with that. Amen. The spirit of breakthrough, the anointing of breakthrough comes upon us with a level of accountability as well. Hallelujah. Whew. Now understand that accountability doesn't only work on its own, but it's coupled with a key component. And so where there's accountability, there is assurance. And that's what makes it effective. Now assurance can mean a lot of things to you. It can mean confidence. It can be security. It can be certainty, all which are correct, but to define this word and serve the context appropriately this morning, there's a definition that states it as a binding commitment to do or give or to refrain from something. That's what assurance is. A binding commitment to do or give or refrain from something. Now, that's deep because that's personal. Amen? Are you with me? I, we're going we're gonna to get into some word, but... And, and so that's all on you. So assurance is an individualistic thing, right? It's something that you dig into, which allows you to be held accountable. So assurance in your walk of faith means that there is a binding commitment to that walk of faith that makes you then, therefore, accountable with what is given to you. I hope I'm not going too deep too fast. Hallelujah. So how can you hold someone accountable lest they be bound to their commitment in what they do? Amen. And I'm talking about the kingdom work. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. I don't have a title for this, but if there was some way of saying weight in your accountability, I, I don't know. Maybe we could go with that. But, but I'm sure you've all heard someone say, rest assured, the procedure is going to be painless. Right? I'm sure you've heard, rest assured, your money will return into your bank account. Maybe it was a refund or something. Now, for some reason, there's something about that that puts us at ease. It's, it, it, it does sound like a mere promise, but what it is is there's a backing of a full intention to do so that makes you feel at ease. All you got to do is go through the worst situation and maybe it's a friend or a colleague or a professional and they say, rest assured. And all of a sudden you're like, huh, yeah. Because there's that backing. There's that commitment, that binding commitment that says, I got to get this thing done. Amen? Let me keep going. Crazy how that works. So let's get in some word. In the story of Jonah, that's where I'd like for our attention to get into first. Um... It's a very short book, three chapters, um, but it's so overlooked. And last night, being the day that I had to look over some material, I'm like, God, where do you want us to go this morning? What is it that you have on your heart to tell us? What is it that you are, are speaking to your, your people, your children, your body? So he brings me to Jonah, and I'm like, Jonah, that's like, 
simple. That was the worst thing I could have ever said to him. Because he just backslapped me with this revelation. So the crazy thing is when we hear the, the story of Jonah, we think the simple Jonah and the fish. Because that's just, that's only one of the miracles. Because it really wasn't just the fish. It was the fact that he was still alive for three days in a fish. But if we were to look at Jonah and the fish, more like the story of a disobedient prophet with a failed attempt of suicide consumed by a fish only to get regurgitated and still speak the word of the Lord. That went from zero to a hundred. Real quick, put your seatbelt on, because that's whiplash right there. When he told me that, I was like, whoa, so you mean there's more than the fish? <laughs> okay. And so, and, and if you're looking for it, it is wedged between Obadiah and Micah, and during this pandemic, I'd say they're six feet apart, but that's where you'll find the book of Jonah. Amen? So I'm just going to read, and we're going to go right through it. We're just going to exegete this. We're just going to massage this word. We're going to just go through it a little bit, and just, I just want you to follow me. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Okay, so starting at chapter 1 in the book of Jonah, it says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. There is your, your, your mandate. There is your, your objective, your task. That's your word. That's the word of the Lord that came to him. Amen. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. Someone say he paid the fare. He paid that fare. And went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. I love how this scripture right there in that moment, it says Tarshish as if it's not an easy word to say already. It says it three times. And But the funny thing about it is it's almost like, because I'll break down Tarshish in just one second, but it's almost like it's like, he left the presence of the Lord for Tarshish. He paid his fare for Tarshish. I'm waiting to read this and say, can you believe he went to Tarshish? And he left the presence of the Lord. Now, the thing about Tarshish is that it is a place but does not have an actual established origin. It's just a seacoast. Tarshish does not have a legitimate place of destination, at least to the point where um, archaeologists maybe or people who go into all of that stuff, they cannot find a Tarshish, but he went there and left the presence of God. He didn't even have a, an establishment. And, and this is cutting out a little bit. And, and he left the presence. So that, that was interesting. So, so he leaves the presence of the Lord. Now, the first point here thing is, is that it's amazing what we will do to benefit just ourselves, to completely omit ourselves of what it is God said to do something that's perhaps more convenient. It's amazing what we would pay to go where there is nothing there. It doesn't even exist. It was just a, a, a seco. So when he went to Tarshish, the terminology of that is simply to indicate this journey as a journey at sea. So you know he's not just in a lake or just in a small little, you know, next stop J Street Metro. No, it's like Tarshish. So, it's interesting how you try to run from these things that are assigned to you, to not be inconvenienced, to not be bothered, especially dealing with people you hate. I'm, I'm going halfway through this. Maybe I should slow down, but this is, this is what's crazy. It took me about to my 29th year of existence on this earth to realize that Jonah wasn't afraid of Nineveh. I thought when Jonah fled after hearing the word of the Lord... <laughs> You look at me like, 
straight he was. I thought that when he was given that word, he just up and left because he was like, nah, I'm good. I thought that was just out of a place of just fear. It'll be like, oh, no. What I found out that the Holy Spirit nudged me with last night in more, re more reading was that Jonah hated Nineveh. Maybe y'all knew that. But I would have wished someone would have told me that maybe like in Bible school or Sunday school. That's crazy. The prophet of the Lord hating people. Oh, that was fast. Oh, okay. That's crazy. I'm thinking, oh, you know, prophets, you know, they're, they're, they must be scared. That's crazy, right? So <laughs> I'm scared. I'm so scared. God, he can't leave me. Because when he told me that last night, I'm like, oh. So, so I'm like, I'm thinking he's just afraid. Perhaps because that's more of an, ex of an excuse to cope with it. I, I think maybe that's easier to like brush off or maybe sweep under or maybe just look over. But he hated Nineveh. He detested him. Now, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, right? And Assyria was already in a desolate state. It's already broken. It's crumbled down. It's full of sin, wickedness. It's cultic. It is, uh, they, are, they were practitioners of the worship of Ishtar, the deity, the goddess, which related to Ishtar is uh, uh, power, sex, war, all these things that like drive people in the nation. That's what they were worshiping. That was how sinful, infested that city was. So I'm thinking, oh, he must be scared. I would be scared. Going to someone that all they do is they just do crazy stuff over there. He hated them. He hated this nation. One would, uh, uh, you know, say, oh, I can understand why you hate it, but, but not, but this doesn't make sense because all of a sudden, with Jonah hating Nineveh, and now up and picking up himself and going the other way completely, he was supposed to go northeast, he went due west because he hated someone. That was, it posed the question, and I'll ask you the question, so then, so then what's scarier a civilization with the deity worship of Ishtar, full of sin, wicked, on the brink of utter destruction, which is why he was supposed to go and deliver a message of repentance. Is that scarier or is it scarier to deal with a prophet who hates people and, and get his emotions mixed up with his assignment? What's scarier? That's so scary. You're entrusted. I know Jonah's a minor prophet, but he's still a prophet. Now, Holy Spirit, you know this is not, like, this was scary to even deliver because, I don't know, it's, I, I'm trying to stay in my lane here, but, but this is the path you put me on. So it's like, you have been entrusted and charged with a word of the Lord of repentance to a people that God in the Old Testament, like, we're in the Old Testament, right? Because, you know, He's talking about, I'm about to destroy this city to smithereens. He ended up destroying them afterward, but he was about to destroy it. But he said, just bring this word of repentance to them that I can save them still. And then Jonah's like, what the heck? So, so you mean to tell me that the word I'm waiting for, to be set free, to bring me to repentance, as sinful as I may be, whether I deserve it or not, is locked behind the lips of a prophet who's mixed his emotions with his assignment, who can't get his heart together? Yo, that's crazy. 
That's heavy. I'm going to keep reading because that was just verse 3. Um, that was just, God was just like, Poof. I was like, God. So let's read on real quick. Because, because that, that's a problem. Um, so, but the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So that the ship was about to be broken up. I like the play of words here because Jonah being a vessel, yet in a vessel, that's about to be broken up. Because if you can't carry what I gave you to carry out, then forget about what you're hiding in because that's going to be broken too. Right? Because it's, he, he didn't go into anything else. But so, so anyway, there's some wordplay there. So, so then, so then the, 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 the mariners were afraid of, every, and, and every man cried out, this is verse 5, to his God, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into sea. Talk about total loss, because these guys are doing their job, loading up that ship with loads and loads of whatever it is they were loading. And they're tossing it into the water because they're about to break. They don't know what happened. They're probably yelling at each other for not doing a maintenance check, right? They're throwing everything over, and then here is Jonah on the bottom, right, in the, in the deepest part of the ship, and he had lain down and was fast asleep comfortable in that it's crazy how comfortable we can be in our disobedience it's so scary how because he was smart because he, he he knows what it is as a vessel he knows deeper down you won't feel it as much as you are up on top it's just something about sleeping so they find him asleep and now they're like what are you doing right so so if it's to serve a point then it is because it's, it bears repeating and that is that now is not the time nor season to get comfortable with what you've been called to do. Neither is it the time or a season to mix your emotions with your assignment. Now you have to understand that I can't only, I can't only preach what I've lived through. That's the only reason how I can uh, bring this over to you as opposed to just reading a pamphlet and telling you about the new fast car. It's because it was it's recently, it's very interesting because I had just gotten out of this place not realizing that this isn't exactly where I was. Because emotions doesn't necessarily have to be like you hate something. It could be that you're frustrated. It's okay to have emotions. It just can't run you, as Prophet Sam said once. It just can't run your life. You could be emotional. That's what makes you human and not a robot. But it can't run your life. Because emotions, what happens is you'll start bringing your own. Now watch this. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Your emotions will definitely bring you its own atmosphere. So who's to say that it wasn't that his own hate in his heart that he was dwelling, that he was comfortable in, caused an atmosphere to completely change all of a sudden in that, in, out in sea. That's wild. Your emotions will cause an atmosphere to manifest. But then it's you who are the vessel in that atmosphere that can either be a part of it or be against it. And obviously in this case, this ship was about a break, so he was against it. And against the, the very individuals around him. So now the emotional atmosphere you're causing has a liability to it, which are innocent bystanders. This is very hard. This, this is still Jonah and the fish? Still Jonah and the fish. Okay. So that's, that's interesting. Um, because I was there. I was there, church. I was there when, when you have an assignment and then you're like, Okay, I know what I'm doing. And then all of a sudden, you're, what you're doing is a job. Now, you got to understand that Jonah was a part of one of the first foreign missionaries in that land. 
So he understood what it was to do what he was doing. But, but he knew what it was to do every day because it wasn't of a new thing to him where the, the Lord would literally bring his word and say, arise and go or do this. He was a part of it. So it meant he was task driven because he knew what to do. But there was a point in his task driven life that he just became just that, task driven. That when the very word of the Lord comes to you, you're just like, like, like it doesn't sting as, as God's, you know, when you hear God, it's like, ooh. You know, whether he's talking to your spirit, whether he's talking, and you just hear him, you, you just know, you stop what you're doing. I'll drive my ambulance, and I'm like, you know, <laughs> you gotta, so it's like you, you hear that. So there's something that happens when you completely disconnect from the Lord, his voice, but you're still connected to your job. That's, that's very bad because I was there. I had a conversation with Apostle one day, and I'm, I'm sharing it because it serves the purpose of this. And I was like, you know, I, I feel like I'm losing my zeal. I feel like I'm losing my passion. And then, and, the Lord, and, then, and then Apostle was like, you lose your zeal and your passion when you lose yourself from the, when you, when you, when you separate from the presence of God. And I was like, como? Because then it made sense that it is the presence of God that gives the zeal and the passion. And so if it's the presence of God that gives me that positive emotion to drive me to do the will then the opposite type of emotion would only do what? Push me further out. That's crazy. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Okay, let's keep going. This is so, so, so important. I understand now why this is important, God. Because he's calling us accountable. He's holding us accountable. Being able to build in a pandemic, that's, that's, there's an accountability with that. Because, I mean, let me, let me get, I'll get there. So anyway, <laughs> so the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise. Call on your God, perhaps your God will consider us, so we may not perish. Keep reading. Verse 7 says, And they cast and, and they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for those uh, who, who's caused this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people you are. Now, this is a whole interrogation happening on the top deck of this barge, this ship that is about to be broken in smithereens, about to die. Yet, there is still a time for the question to be asked. Who are you? Where are you from? What are you doing? What people are you of? It's interesting because I know we, we hear it very uh, re repetitiously, but, or we hear it a lot because, it, it, again, it's worth hearing again. But, but it basically is... To make your call an election sure. Right? That's 2 uh, Peter 1 to 10. And, and, and I mean, when you really read it, I wrote it here just so we're not just paraphrasing all day. But it says, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent, even more diligent to make your call an election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Mm. Well, uh, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly to the everlasting kingdom of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I feel the need to remind someone somewhere, whether it's here, whether it's you're watching this or wherever you are, that in the middle of the storm you may be in, with all the chaos that is around you, the time has come to make your call an election. Sure. Because they're going to ask you. Because that same thing you're trying to hide, trying to blend in with, trying to completely avoid, the very world you're trying to smooth over by you not being so standoffish, now they're like, aren't you a worship pastor? Like, what, what are you? Like, what do you do? Like, how can you help me? Because I want to be in context here because there was an emergency situation going on. That's like 
all of a sudden, someone's like knocking at your door at 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, and they, they have a, a their sick child that, that is, is demon possessed or something. And they're like, can you, what can we do to this? What? And, and then you're like, oh, snap. You know, because now you're having this identity issue. Eh? I walked into a few scenes and I'm like, interesting. And they're like, what are we going to do? And I'm like, be right back. I'm going to go get the, I'm going to get the red bag because that means boo-boo. You know? So, okay, and, and that has to do with assurance. That has to do with your accountability. When we get called on a scene, I did a call, and it deserves this purpose. I did a call where there was, it was complete pandemonium. There was a lot of blood losing. The person that was holding this lady's leg together, he was like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Oh, my God. I'm just like, oh, all right. And then he was asking me, well, do this, do that. And, then, and that's when I was like, oh, that's a lot of blood. <laughs> and, and I was like, I told my partner, go grab me this. You sure you want that? Yeah, so now he's doing the same thing I'm doing. Because why? Because I'm the senior on that job. I'm the senior on that call. I'm the FTO. And I'm like, yo, go get more gauze. And he's like, you sure you want this one? You see how then now all of a sudden there's a ripple effect. So anyway, going back into this, going back into this, um, there's this thing of like, well, who are you? Because now there's a delineation between who you are and who we are. And you'll see this in this next text. Because then they said, then they said to him, please tell us for whose cause, right? Okay, that's verse 9. Um, so he says to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Verse 10, this is what I was going into. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Verse 11, then he said to them, what shall we do to you that the sea may become for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. I'm going to leave it there. Interesting how all of a sudden, okay, I'm glad you figured yourself out. What are we going to do to you? Because you're the cause of this. You're the reason of this. All of a sudden, they're like, oh, okay. Now, these mariners, as I, I, could, I could speak of this, it's a very interesting book. If you read it, it's just three chapters where you see so many, so many things, just turn up events. But the mariners were, were just worshipers of their own deities. They were just out there crazy. But they understood something. They understood sacrifice. <laughs> and, and they understood what it meant to do whatever it is they have to do in the, middle, in, in the midst of that, that moment. So they're like, okay. So what do we have to do to you to get this to come to pass? And so they end up throwing him overboard, as you know. And then he gets eaten by this fish that the Lord had already summoned to be there. Interesting. So I just, I just need someone to know that in the middle of whatever it is that you're going through, be even more diligent. Be even more diligent. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Be more diligent. Because we're using this right now as a crutch. Sometimes we're using it more of a, like a scapegoat. Some, but be more diligent. Because that, that shouldn't change who you are. In the middle of a warfare, be more diligent. Let it be no, oftentimes it's your own flesh that needs to know what's happening under the hood. I'm just trying to help somebody. God will have his way. And, and so our senior leader had said this before. He said that, that it is one thing to make it here and then it's another thing to stay here. But, but the whole thing about staying in this place is that assurance. Right? It is that, that binding commitment to what it is that God is doing in you and you doing for his kingdom. Because this is all wrapped. I know it's like a rubber band ball, but it's all wrapped together. Because had Jonah had that assurance in him and had that binding commitment that wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you stay, I will stay. Right? If, if he ever did that, uh, um, whatever was, was told, go here, I will go there. And I'm going to go into an example of what that is like. Then this probably wouldn't have happened. 
you know, but yet in the midst of all of that, we understand that the mariners ended up repenting, giving their lives to the Lord. And so there is, so, you know, God's going to get his glory no matter what you decide to do. So, but that's why, so there still was an accountability on him. There was still an accountability on Jonah. Because now, okay, you're going to disobey me. Well, now you're accountable to these lives. Because we understand that the business, if you will, that you're in it is souls. That's, that's the, it's life or death. So you, you barter thinking that you could just avoid one thing to do something else, but there's still a life at the end of that. There's still an ultimatum that you still have to face. There's no escaping that. That's why he gives us grace. That's why he gives us his wisdom. That's why he gives us his spirit, his comfort, his counselor. That's why we're not alone in these things. Yet, if we buck up against it, now we're like, uh, now we're found sleeping in a, be- in, in, in a ship that's about to break apart. Amen? Does this make sense so far? Okay. We'll keep going then. Um, if you're still breathing, there's work to be done. Amen? That's an easy clause. It's an easy point right there. So, now if we took a look at Philip's disposition, juxtaposed to Jonah's disposition, we'll quickly see a difference. The crazy thing is, you know how Jonah was a minor prophet, right? Philip was one of the first seven deacons to be instantiated in the early church of Jerusalem, Deacon Aaron. He's one of the seven deacons, Deacon Philip. I want you to pay attention to this part, because if you're a deacon, it's, it's crazy, because I thought deacons were just the guys that opened up the church, right? I found something else. <laughs> Sometimes you think that, right? So, so Philip's story is in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, right? I'm just going to quickly read that because, I mean, you know what? How many of you actually read the Bible so much so like that? So I'm just going to give you a few scriptures. Amen. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, arise and go towards the south along the road, which goes down to Jerusalem and Gaza. This is desert. Kind of sounds familiar to when the Lord said to Jonah, arise and go to the city of Nineveh. There was a destination, there was a command, and there was a purpose. Okay. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Canaanites, the queen of Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? That's the, call, that's the cry of help. That's the, that's the cry that is out there for us because there is a necessity and we are the solution. Right? Amen. So he goes, um, he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. Then the place of the scripture where he read was, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away and who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe in Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he got baptized. Now, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip, verse 14, last verse, was found at Azotus and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. This is Deacon Philip. Time traveling. <laughs> I mean, like, 
I don't know what you think about that, but he baptized him, and all, all, all of a sudden, he's in Azota, another city further up. The, the, the case here is that it's crazy that Philip is in the same area regionally as Jonah. So you can't blame the atmosphere. You can't blame the region. Because you are held accountable, Dejan. There's, there's an assurance that you should be walking in to do whatever it is that he tells you, right? So Joppa, where Jonah went to get into the ship, is the area where, he, where Philip found the water, because that's the seacoast, and he baptizes. So it's interesting that spanning off, hope me, Holy Spirit, spanning off of, of his disposition in that same place, one person is escaping, the other person is introducing someone to Jesus Christ. It's crazy how your demeanor will literally transcend the next action like that, because we don't think about that. We, we, we really don't, and it's, it's hefty. So there is weight in your accountability. So the accountability between the two are indicative in the end result, right? Because now you have the newly converted Ethiopian, which points to the establishment of Christianity in Ethiopia. And we understand that Ethiopia has Christianity for so long. It, it's, it's been there. It, could it be that it was from this guy? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell me. But this is, he was, he was a eunuch, which means he, he was very powerful. He was under Candace, and, and it's under some scrutiny that if Candace, the queen of Ethiopia, was kind of like a pharaoh. So, again, it was another type of worship. But yet, this guy was worshiping. But he was worshiping, not even realizing what he was doing. Because he was reading and he didn't understand. So, is it possible that you could be going through the motions, not really understanding what's going on? Right? But that's why it takes someone, because he wasn't held accountable. He, oh, my God. This is crazy. He, there was no accountability on him if he was doing it the right way or the wrong way. But he was going to the place of worship. There's no, there, there, it was just like, yeah, come, let's go. But there's no say if he knew what was doing because he didn't know what he was reading. But there was accountability on the person that was sent there to be the solution, to help him read that. Right? Those people in Nineveh, yes, they were like hellbound and literally about to just be consumed by devastation. Although they being in sin, it was like, well, this is their ultimatum. But yet, this is where the weight is on, and it's on you, Jonah, to get this job done. Whether they are deserving of it or not, whether, they, whether they're worthy of it or not, the onus is on the sent one. The, the, because, because the grace is also there, and because the solution is always there. So when I say weight of your accountability, and when you come into a house like this so fired up and prophetic, and apostolic and full of breakthrough, you have to understand you're coming to a place that, yes, is going to change your life. Yes, is going to break you through and over and out of. But also an accountability is going to be slapped on you to do this thing more so than what you already experienced here. Because it's going to be on you. And so it's our job that, we, that you are instilled with insurance. And it says it here in Hebrews 6.11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. That word popped up in the Bible, which means this is something you need to have. Because no matter what, you're still going to be held accountable. But it shouldn't be some dogmatic thing where you're like, oh my God, i got to go to work another day. Because that's the type of mentality that Jonah was having. I hate those people. I'm, forget them. They're good on their own. They deserve that. Because he, he could be right. Because if you really look furthermore than that in the book of Nahum, or Naum, 
it, it goes and, and, and it talks about how it became devastated to the point that 2,500 years later, archaeologists were ever to discover, they were, they were able to discover Nineveh. 2,500 years later. So, yeah, they basically turned from that repentance. Although the, the miracle was that the entire city, yes, did repent. You know? But look what happened. Because now, it's like that repentance, it brings you in, right? And all of a sudden now, oop, there goes accountability now on you now to stay there. We're just trying to help somebody. Oh, you can stand to your feet because I, I'm done with this. Praise the Lord. Maybe, maybe you need to ask yourself some of the questions they were asking Jonah in that barge. Who are you? What people are you from? What is your occupation? What is your role? Who do you belong? What is your calling? What is your position? What's supposed to happen? What's the word of the Lord? And you need to be ready at all times. But sometimes we don't know what that first step is because it is a lot. Now, this was a very hard and dicey word. It was really, you have to really be paying attention and see and hear the, what's going on. I'm trying my best to break that down as much as the Holy Spirit allows me to. But the, the, the commonality or the common grounds of all of this is, well, where do we start? We're in the middle of some crazy times. You know what I mean? And it really is no surprise, but it's like this is what's going to happen. Things are going to continue to cause havoc. We know this. We know this. So shame on us for knowing this then and trying to find that first two seats on JetBlue to go to Puerto Rico when you're supposed to be going somewhere else, right? Or, or I'm just saying as an example. So shame on us then to know these things. If you hate something, it's because you know something's wrong, right, Jonah? So why don't you go fix it? Because it's not your problem? What's your God's problem? So as God's people, as his children, as his ambassadors of the kingdom here, I remember I was talking to Pastor CJ one day, and I was having these frustrations. <laughs> and, and this was in Hamden, back when we were in New Life, coming to church, things we got into. And, um, and I said, you know, man, I don't get these people. I don't even remember this. It's about worship. And we were, I was like, worshiping, like going all in, and like the congregation just looks like, CJ says something that stuck with me forever and it was like you you are for the people he was like you're it's you it can't just it's not your worship and you're good and I'm good with just that because you're in charge or you're responsible of getting connected to that so you can't close off so worship leaders you cannot close yourself off because you hate how the congregation is or you hate how I'm using that's a strong word but this is just to be in context of the Bible because that's what Jonah he hated these people because they couldn't catch it because they decided to be cultic and they decided to worship these things despite to the fact that they probably were born in that despite the fact that they were probably raised in this upbringing that said this is the way we live but he didn't understand what was wrong with them so he just decided to have an emotional ought with them maybe it's not hate maybe you don't hate the congregation maybe you're just over it maybe you're just like I'm done y'all can be Right? These are the things that we, that we hear. So then as opposed to lashing out that way, how about you muster up some assurance in what you're called to do? You know? Because there's weight in your accountability. So you're going to be held accountable. You best at least be committed to at least who you are. Because that's really all it is. Assurance isn't necessarily a corporate thing. It's an individualistic thing. It means, you know, if you're a musician, I'm practicing, I'm learning the craft, I'm doing what 
I'm doing, I'm looking at other artists that inspire me, right? If you're, if you're, if you're, uh, if you're a doctor, you know all the school, you're doing all these things, you're continuing your education. You know I mean, these are the people that they go to sleep and they can't go to sleep at night because they're, they're thinking of the, the dream that they had or they're thinking of that lyric or they're thinking of that new business idea. These are people of assurance because these are people that have the accountability, but they're really going to be pulled out. They know, these are people that know somewhere down the line they're going to be looked upon. This is so awesome, Holy Spirit. I hope this is helping someone. I just use these people as examples. That's what the Bible is for. To help us along the way. Not to get stuck in the rut of the story of the fish. Or of the vine. Or of the east wind. I have these, there's so many miracles that happen. You know? Jonah was still angry even after they repented. I can't believe this. Can't believe you did that as if you know that's why I'm like yo God will get the glory out of every situation so you just get yourself out of the way just get yourself out of the way you find yourself in the predicament just get yourself out of it if you are called to serve in any capacity on behalf of the kingdom of God here on earth called to follow the proclamation that on earth as it is in heaven right if you are that person then this this is what this is what the kingdom is looking for in you you will have assurance because this is the difference between assurance and insurance the insurance has a limit so you pay for insurance you always every year you gotta you, oh I gotta make sure I don't work enough money because I'm gonna pull my insurance right that's, that's a system and a half I hate that you gotta be capped off because if you, that's the system assurance means till the death that's what we're looking for that's what the God feel you Holy Spirit it's going through me hard. And so I know it's going through you because I'm up here trembling. I need you to the death, the Spirit of the Lord says. Not just physically. Spiritually. I need you to the death. For God I live, God I die, you say. But do we mean it? It's more than just a good a tattoo idea. To the death, assurance, because there's weight in your accountability. And don't leave this sermon frivolous or like, oh God, you know what? That's a lot to ask for, Lord. You're asking for a lot. No, 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 no. He's asking for you to have a binding commitment to what you said yes to. You said yes to. He's asking you to have that binding commitment, that assurance to what it is that you do best. If you're a dancer, then you're dancing your, your, your life away. If you're an actor, you're, you're doing that. That's what he's asking for. And more than that, on the spiritual aspect, you're going to stand in the gap and intercede. Man, you best have it all. You don't have to be perfect, but have that commitment to it. Because that's where it is. Have that commitment to it. Deacon Philip, he just became a deacon. And the angel of the Lord, I'm sure he was figuring things out still because it was pretty short after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm sure in the early church, I mean, we're building here, right? We're figuring things out here. But imagine the early church. I'm sure he made mistakes. But there was a binding commitment to what you're doing. Angel of the Lord, go, arise, go. I'm going. Here, what's he reading? Oh, okay, go. That's... That's the heart the Father is looking for this morning. And as you're standing, I just, I just pray that this message 
seeps further beyond just your heart into your spirit, to your soul, to your mind, that it oozes through, that it's enough that during this week coming up, you can really apply this starting right now. The altars are open for those of you who feel perhaps maybe out of touch, you want to reconnect. Altars are open for those of you who may not know the Lord. Also open for you to receive him as your Savior, receive him as Jesus Christ Lord. And if you're good there, and if you feel disconnected then from his presence, whether it be just an awe, whether it just be something, whether it just be a hiccup, rest assured that you could find rest in him today. And that he's meeting you here at this altar. I, just, I feel you, Holy Spirit. I know your angels and ministration are here. And if you need a touch or a rekindling, this is the time. Lord, I won't flee when you say go. Lord, I won't hold reservations of how I feel as opposed to what it is that you know. I won't. Not anymore. Not after today. I won't let my emotions cause a disruption in innocent lives. In, in a disruption in just stuff I don't need to be into. I don't need, I don't want to. I won't have that happen anymore. I won't cause my own atmospheres to bring calamity on myself or to bring calamity on others. God, I, I'm giving you my heart. I'm giving you my life, Father God. Fill me with your presence. Fill me with assurance. Fortify me, Father. Gird up our loins, Father God, as the waters be vehemently, Father, that we will not fall. We will not falter, Father, but we will stand in the ground. We will stand tall with our heads held high, with our backs straight and posture, ready at attention. For your will, your purpose, your desire to be carried out in the name of Jesus. This is our prayer. This is our cry. Touch our hearts, Lord. Renew our minds, God. Father, we cast down every vain thought, any imagination that exceeds itself from your knowledge, Father God. We cast that down. If it's going to exceed itself from your will, your knowledge, Father, we cast it down. We hold it captive. And we take on your mind, oh God. And we take on your heart concerning the matters of your people, this community, this nation, this city. Here in Waterbury, here in Hamden, and to the other places he will cause us to go, we will go full of faith, full of power, full of conviction, full of security, full of assurance. Because you can find us accountable to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you put your hands together.